it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show, one 408 If you're smart enough to be watching on Fox Nation, you see Mike Rowe here. He's get set to host his show. I always mess up all his plugs. I want to make it perfect now. Uh, please uh, back off and give me some room. Uh, 8 o'clock on Mondays. We're going to watch his show. Uh, we're going to watch his show, How America Works. And that is just one of the many things Mike does. He's going to be here for a complete hour unless he storms out again because when these one of these big oh, stars get booked for a whole hour. Mm-hmm. You say one thing wrong and they just storm <laughs> out. You say it doesn't matter what I say. It's going, to, it's going to turn into some weird headline and then I'm going to get hell for it. And thank you in advance. All right. So um, is that, that what happens a lot, doesn't it? Every, yeah. it, it never fails. <laughs> With us. Yeah, it never fails. Roe takes sip of coffee, coughs through nose, sends hidden message, <laughs> rips libs. What? Let's go over the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. There are kind of there are two Elons that we're seeing. There's the public Elon that's, you know, trolling and saying $8, please, on all the complaints about some of the shifts in the, the uh, moderation and other activities. Then there's what's happening behind the scenes. Twitter takeover. Bold but bumpy start for Elon Musk. From hiring to rehiring to billing to new rules, changes are afoot. Number two. Everybody, I promise you, in the very next very, very, very short period of time, you're going to be so happy, okay? The president, of the, the former president of the United States in Latrobe, Pennsylvania. 2024 uh, race officially begins whenever the midterm results are confirmed. But one presidential candidate has made it clear he's in. And one major name made it clear he's not. We'll talk about it. Number one. The conduct of the candidates and the quality of their individual messages and their individual campaigning can oftentimes make a big difference one way or the other. And I'm, I'm looking for the surprises uh, on, on Tuesday night. That is Karl Rove. Kind of mellow for Karl Rove. I'm surprised. 24 hours in counting uh, until midterm madness ends when the counting begins. We will look at the issues that matter most to what you all are saying. It's basically unanimous. It's about the economy, and we're not stupid. Mike Rowe, welcome back. Thank you for getting my name all grouped up with words like not stupid. Right, absolutely. And by the way, Mike could not get out of his first appearance because we were in the elevator together. (laughs) Which kind of made me nervous because they had a lot of stops. Well, it's I'm, I'm priding myself on getting here by 9.06, and today kind of scared me a little. I thought I was late, so I'm taking big steps. I'm moving fast, trying to negotiate the incredible uh, elevator complex system here. And then I turn around, and there you are coming up the hallway. Right. So I'm like, well, you know. They're you not have gonna... never been nervous about anything in your life. When's the last time you were really uh, uh, panicked? Oh, panicked? Yeah. Well, were you really nervous? I I can't believe this is happening. I'm not ready. I'm not prepared. I'm late. I'm early. Whatever uh, it is. Not so much in the TV game anymore. But I I left a um, I left a department store the other day, and I was I was late to get to where I needed to be. And 
my car was gone. There's an empty spot where I had my car parked. And I was 100% certain, Brian, 100% certain that that was the spot where I'd left my car and therefore concluded uh, my car had been stolen. But, of course, that's not where I parked. I parked on the other side of the building. Wow. I I, I couldn't have been more wrong. But, man, in that moment, I was so sure that the car was gone. And then to realize within minutes, not just that I was wrong, but that I had been categorically, spectacularly incorrect. You know what would have been worse? Hmm. You called 911. No, I can't and do then, that. and then you said my car is stolen, and the cops come and see because you know. the cops know me, right? I mean, it's dirty jobs. How America right. works is very, very, very cop friendly shows, and yeah, for for a cop to see me in a panic situation, it, it's just unacceptable. You know, that, so, yeah. it, it would have gone to the heart of the brand, Brian. It, <laughs> it, 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 it would have degraded it. I can't right. have it. So, were you angry? Uh, no, I was humbled. Yeah, actually, and you know what? I, I I don't know what you want to talk about for the next hour, but that feeling of being certain and and then have it come right on the heels right right juxtaposed to the realization that you're wrong that's so humiliating and 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 it's going to happen tomorrow for a lot of people and it's been happening you know in this whole news cycle in so many ways people are so long on certainty in so many areas and then they're confronted with the undeniable truth of their incorrectedness <laughs> and you, you and you see just it, it's cognitive dissonance from sea to shining sea that's what's going on right and, now. and the one thing i did on we've my... all forgotten where we parked i like it yeah i mean that would right. that that could be one of your facebook uh that could be don't you have a new series about that how everything's connected yeah it's called six degrees that's still out there um right i mean you just did it yeah so And I interrupted the end of your story, mm. why you continue to say yes when I try to book you, right. when you have this great story, mm. and I ruined the end. Well, that's another thing going on in our country, right? We can't – two ears, one mouth, but we got it all backwards, right. right? We interrupt everything going on around us to let everybody know with great passion how certain we are about every single thing. And we simply can't be right all of the time. In fact, we're not. We're wrong most of the time. We can't remember where we parked. Okay. I can't I can't stop saying it. I really far scumped my way into the metaphor for our times. You're welcome, everybody. Right. I mean we basically this is a workout room for you. This is the Monday nights <laughs> for comics when they come out with their loose sleeve That's and right. they just sit there and they put right, it right, on right. their stool and they work this out. Okay, yeah. I'm gonna break, break that off. Yeah, so like, let's see how this goes. I'm not gonna take this on right. Fox and Friends until I workshop <laughs> it here. <laughs> yeah. Right. No, we no, no. It. More primetime Tucker. <laughs> oh, Tucker, yeah, right, yeah, right, I'm right. gonna work it out here, then I'm gonna hit Tucker. So I, I, I he actually lets people finish, Tucker. Yeah. He when does. you go on, he lets you go. He does. But, yeah. Yeah, he, he'll just say, okay, you're done, and he'll just say goodbye. But you know what? What's brilliant about that sometimes is that you give people enough rope. Sometimes they build a bridge. Sometimes they hang themselves to just sit there and listen as somebody talks themselves right into something utterly inexplicable. That's fun to watch. Right. Home. How about this? You have that, and we have something else. Sometimes if you give people enough time, they actually tell the truth. <laughs> so we have lost for the last two years. We have heard that when the price of gas went up, we heard that when you're running for president, I'm for fracking, even though your background says you weren't. Mm-hmm. When the price of gas goes up, it's not my fault. It's Vladimir Putin's fault. It's Saudi Arabia. They cut back production. Uh, I, I, I'm mad at the oil and gas companies. I'm mad at the gas station or I'm mad at the guy that, that delivers the gas and the women that might do it too. And then there's this, President Biden, who in Westchester, Sunday night, was had a heckler. And the heckler was a pro-green energy 
probably nose ring wearing, purple hair uh, adoring person yelled this out. And listen to Joe Biden's response. Cut one. No more drilling. There is no more drilling. I haven't formed any new new drilling. (laughs) So he told everyone production is up. It's just that the oil companies are being greedy. Mm-hmm. And now he just says there's no more drilling in this country. Look, I think we've talked about it before, but it's not it, here, though. Well, it's um, it's the emperor's new clothes, right? It's the emperor's new clothes. And um, to to look at it, look, the first episode of How America Works in season one was oil. We We literally took an hour to show you exactly how robust that industry is, how how deeply reliant. We are upon it, and how it's it's not going anywhere. It it all of this stuff, Brian. We, just, but we it, could suppress it and sure. go through pain for ten years oh, until yeah. someone gets in office and says, uh, "We what are we doing here?" Look, I I just think every so often, and again, I I don't even think this is political, but every so often you need that kid in the crowd to point to the emperor and say, "Wait." That he's not wearing any clothes right. at all. And I'm not suggesting Joe Biden is the emperor in this metaphor. I'm just saying that whatever the story is, look, that's what Let's Go Brandon was all about. When people, when that happened. Most innovative heckle in the history of men. It, and I don't think it happened only because people had strong political feelings. I think it happened because the woman who was reporting on the thing said, oh, you can hear the crowd chanting. Let's go, Brandon. And the crowd and the people at home could hear with their own ears. And she was interviewing a guy named Brandon. Correct. And they could see with their own eyes that, that that's not what was happening. So, you know, in my mind, ever since then, there's been this growing sense of, wait, what do you mean that was a successful withdrawal from Afghanistan? I'm watching people fall from the sky. Wait, what do you mean the border's secure? I can see with my own eyes 10,000 people coming across it. Wait, what do you mean crime is down? I'm watching people get shoved in front of the subway. Wait, what do you mean you parked there? Are you sure? Yeah, I'm positive. But here's your car on the other side. You sure? <laughs> right? Well, so it's, it's all that. The problem is why your analogy doesn't work, and I wish it did, is because you <laughs> sincerely thought the car was parked there. Yep. I know that they're duping us. Okay, we'll see. And that, that's the problem. Right. Well, look. And, and you, you were certain. If you said, you know, I thought, you know, we were out of oil. So I said, stop drilling because mm. I, I had a geologist that told me. Uh, but you know that you're doing this on purpose. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm saying the, that this is one place where the line is. Now, if, if I learned that somebody took my car as a joke and moved it and I just haven't figured it out yet – that's a different – that's what you're saying. Yeah. Somebody moved my car. Somebody moved my cheese. You know, in my case, I just screwed up. I just forgot. But you know, we can give as much benefit of whatever doubt as we want. So let me tell you what caused on a Saturday his press secretary to scramble to do some damage control. Cut to. Cost them too much money. They can't count. No one's building new coal plants because they can't rely on it, even if they have all the coal guaranteed for the rest of their, the existence of the plant. So it's going to become a wind generation. And all they're doing is going to save them a hell of a lot of money and using the same transmission line they transmitted the coal-fired electric on. We're going to be shutting these plants down all across America. A kid from Scranton knows, you know what fuels Scranton? Coal. You know coal uh, miners. Uh, 
What do you think coal people are thinking of themselves knowing they're providing the coal for the electric grids, that China is buying tons of coal, uh, the other people, they're doing this for a living, and they find out this? Well, I, I, like we said earlier today, I, I, I think they're profoundly annoyed. I think they must that – they are the kid in the emperor's new clothes. They're screaming, wait, what do you mean? How can you even say that? But to me, the bigger question is – if you're paying attention to energy with a capital E and you're, and you're looking around the world, you just hinted at it. Here's a figure that's not in dispute. India and China combined are building a coal-fired power plant every week. And the plan is to do that every week for the next 30 years. So I'm, I could be wrong, but that's an easy Google. And it's confirmed all over the place. So, you know, how can you talk about – never mind that. What about the other 3 billion people who rely primarily on wood and crap? Wood and dung is being burned and doing – I mean, just so much more impactful on the atmosphere we all share. Those people have to get to coal, oil, and gas. So a fellow Democrat, Joe Manchin, comes out and says this, President Biden's comments are not only outrageous and divorced from reality, they ignore the severe economic pain the American people are feeling because of rising energy. Comments like these are the reason the American people are losing trust in President Biden and instead believe he does not understand the need to have have an an all-in energy policy that would keep our nation totally energy independent and secure it for the future. And he goes on. So a fellow Democrat said basically what you just said directly, knowing that an election was two days away. That's how outrageous it is, because he's in West Virginia. You know what they're doing in West Virginia. So when we come back, more from Micro. We're going to lighten it up and talk about something that happened in 60 minutes that probably affects all of your family. Don't move. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. You can't win a war on social media. Just don't engage. Don't engage in the public battles because that's just feeding the beast. You don't mean disengage from the political process. You, you mean just disengage from these platforms? Yes. When public discourse was moved into the middle of the Roman Colosseum, I'm saying disengage from that. Walk out of the Colosseum and still be politically active. And that is a NYU professor, Jonathan Haidt, uh, talking on 60 Minutes yesterday about what is polarizing America. Well, it really is based off Social Dilemma, a documentary that was co-produced by Tristan Harris. And he believes that it is the polarization of America. It's not cable news. It's not your family. It is social media that's pushing extremes for clicks and likes. With me right now, uh, to maybe say this is too simplistic or right on the money, Michael Rowe from Micro, uh, Micro Works Foundation. He has so many plugs, i got to do it piecemeal. And we know his show is on at 8 o'clock tonight on FBN. What's your thought on what he just said? Disengaged. Are you big into social media? Yeah. You're huge. Yes and no. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't really follow anybody because I just never got into it from that point of view. But I did wake up one day and realize – 
that the people who watch my shows are on social, and they're my ultimate boss. So I started posting regularly uh, about 10 years ago on Facebook, and there's 6 million people there now. And I honestly, I don't do anything without, without running it by them first. They're, I, they're my focus group. You know, ultimately, they're the people that I work for. Big so benefit I, for you. Big benefit um, and a big gut check. You know, so I, I take it super seriously professionally. Um, personally. You yeah. have 6 million people following you on Facebook? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, closer to seven now. And another million on Instagram, apparently, which, you know, I, I mean, it's. Do but, you Twitter at all? No, Twitter? I don't tweet. But some of the stuff I do gets picked up and ported over there by people who claim to work for me. But, you know, I, I, I'm not really. I can't look at all of it, but every I, – I just posted an hour ago before I came on here, a pretty robust post, you know, and I kind of feel like, you know, that's, that's part of my job, you know, is just to be transparent, and that's a good place for me to do it. But the point of this thing that I, that I do agree with is that this is a very powerful thing. And before we talk about whether it's inherently good or inherently bad, we ought to admit that it's powerful, and we ought to admit that it's tied – social is tied – to the First Amendment, in much the same way guns are tied to the Second Amendment. And that thing's sitting right there, the same thing I got in my pocket, you know. It's not just a, a phone anymore. It, it, it's a network. Like, if I go live on Facebook right now, I, I can stream this conversation to 6 million people right now. That's super powerful. And so a gun is a powerful thing. This thing, in the hands of, you know, a Cretan is capable of incalculable mischief. Like, for example, an enemy country that wants to further divide America? Sure. Absolutely. Look, the First Amendment is, is the first because it is the most powerful. It's, and it's also potentially the most dangerous. Speech is a thing, right? I mean, that you, you can cause more mischief with, with your smartphone, an Internet hookup, and a robust social uh, platform than you can with an AR-15, I mean, yeah. it's just so so if we don't think about it like that, then we're probably going to talk past each other in terms of, gosh, I don't know if, you know, is the populace equipped to deal with this? What if, for instance, <laughs> guns were introduced suddenly for the very first time? And what if everybody got one, a big one? And what if we just said, OK, this is powerful. Good luck, everybody. Yeah. Yeah, right. So, you know, we got a really powerful weapon and we didn't get the primer on how to work I like it. that analogy better than I forgot where I parked my car. Well, that's why I'm your right. guest, Brian. Right, and we still have another half hour with, for more analogies. You're not even going to believe what I pull out of my butt coming what up. Did you, I can't wait to find out what you told <laughs> six million people uh, about what comes out of your butt. Good. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Tristan Harris says real change may have to be forced in court. I think we have to do with social media what happened with Big Tobacco. What stopped Big Tobacco was that the attorneys general in different states... That's right. ...actually went after them. The attorneys general in Big Tobacco had an enormous role to play in litigating that there was harms to people and their families. Is that what it's going to take with... I think that's what's going to social take media with social companies? media companies? Yes. And we're seeing attorneys general move already one step in that direction. 
Attorneys general in at least eight states are coordinating a nationwide investigation of social media platforms. We now know that there's all these harms in social media products designed for engagement. We've done it before. We did it with seatbelts. We've done it with big tobacco. We've taken lead out of gasoline. We have made these changes once we recognize that certain products were toxic for us. We can do it again. Should we? And that's the question. Tristan Harris co-producer of uh, The Social Dilemma. It affects everybody, uh, your kids, yourself. If you choose not to be on Facebook, that's a choice that matters if you see your kids are living online, and it's probably not Facebook, it's probably TikTok right now or Snapchat or Instagram. Mike Rowe is a major player on Facebook, 6 million. You said closer to 7 million now, Mm -hmm. uh, and on Instagram. Mm -hmm. So, Mike, your thoughts about regulation to that degree, and I think you're hearing this for the first time, so what are your thoughts? I mean, personally, I think part of me would be kind of relieved because it it is a barking dog in a sense. I mean, if you're going to treat it seriously, if you're going to – you, I can't ignore 6 million people, so I don't. Um, but again, we're talking about a couple different things. This let, – let's go back to your first question. Like the last time I felt panicked, right? What if you framed this whole conversation in terms of how do you feel when you – forget where you put your car versus where when you realize you've lost your phone How, what goes through your mind when you realize holy crap i'm not connected anymore i'm not connected to social i'm not connected to my contacts i can't make a phone call say you're traveling there are a lot of people listening right now who know exactly what that feels like they got off the plane and they don't have their phone they left the house and they don't have their phone well my problem is this yeah, yeah, yeah. you get all your credit still. card segments. But, but, but he, still, they got everything still, about me that still, somebody else has it. That feeling that races through your guts and makes you almost nauseous when you realize you've lost your phone and you can't get it back right away, just throw more gasoline on that if you're a kid. Throw even more on it if you're coming out of a lockdown and your only source of connectivity relies upon this thing that we're talking about right now. When you are suddenly cut off from that, I would argue that that feeling is not so different, to take the metaphor a step further, than when you go cold turkey on tobacco. When you, I mean, you could just fill in the blank with a lot of different things, but one way you can always tell if you got a little over your skis is how nauseous you feel when your cheese gets moved. And you lose your phone, you lose your connection. If you're, we're grownups, sort of. And I know how it feels when I when that happens to me. What if you're 17, 18 years old? What if your entire life has been spent in part being plugged in to this Borg to have access? All of your friends, all of your snapping and your chatting and your thumbs up and your swiping, all of it comes down to your facility on that screen. We're. We're too old to understand this, dude. But when you look at a kid and their fingers are flying over that screen, it's, oh, yeah. it's, like, it's, it's like something out of Star Trek, and now it's gone. You, you might as well pull their liver so, out. So have you want, I, I know it's tough for you. It's against your own interests. You feel relieved. But are you for it? Are you for where he's recommending we go? And that is treat it like unleaded gas, leaded gas, and make it unleaded. Treat it like seatbelts. Get used to it. We never uh, – we, when I got – when know. I the only time I needed a seatbelt was my driver's test. Yeah. And I had to go rent a car because my seatbelts in my car didn't work. So I had to go rent a car to get – and after that, 
we have a totally view on a seatbelt. If I told my son that, he's like, are you crazy? Why would you get in a car without a seatbelt? Well, right. You can you can absolutely change behavior, and I, th- and I think we should. But to – okay, so it is mandatory that cars have seatbelts. Totally on board with that. Is it mandatory that you wear one? And if so, what yes. if you don't? I, obviously, that's already been litigated. You, know, you, you are now <laughs> on the wrong side of the law if you're operating without a seatbelt. So we did get there. Do I like it? Actually, no, I don't like it. But I, I, I can't think of the last time I didn't wear a seatbelt. So it's coming out of the pandemic, it's the same kind of thought process. You know, we want people to do what's good for them. We have to set the table fairly. We have to give them the option. You know, of course you don't have to smoke. Of course you should wear your seatbelt. You know what? Maybe you shouldn't eat two bags of potato chips and drink a liter of Diet Coke either. Mm-hmm. There's a long list of things. And by the way, Bloomberg jumped in on that, and he Fine. said, stop with the big Cokes. Right. So, look, I mean, I, I personally do think there is the genies out of the bottle with social, and we're going to have to do something to walk it I'm back. I'm going to come back to social, but I will say on the pandemic, on that same thought about telling you what to do, yeah. I have so much resentment, especially now knowing especially how wrong everybody was oh my God. when they told us, don't go out. Don't you know? Make your kids play sports with a mask. Uh, go wipe everything down. Take all your clothes off before you walk in your house. What did you? Don't think, you go to work? What did you think the other day when you heard about amnesty for all of that from the Atlantic Magazine writer? Yeah, you're right. I was outraged. I but, was too. Yeah, and Be- she was on Face the Nation this weekend. But it was. I wasn't politically outraged. I was just Personally. outraged because how in the world are you ever going to learn anything if we if 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 we can't look back and say, here's what we got wrong, and if we can't in the same breath say, and remember how certain you felt, remember how sure you were about the six feet thing, about the mask thing, about the booster thing. Remember how certain you were, Mike, when you knew you parked where you weren't? Same feeling. Right. Right? It's the same feeling. Although there's people in charge that were experts that do this for a living, that even though you don't know exactly how the pandemic was going to happen, they knew a pandemic would happen. And almost everything they said, Anthony Fauci, from pandemic's not going to be a factor here. Mm -hmm. Don't wear a mask. It's going to give you a false sense of security. Mm -hmm. A vaccine, if you take the vaccine, you will not pass the virus or get the virus. Right. And all of that was flat out wrong. And they never admitted it. They just moved on without acknowledging it. And I still see people walking around with a mask outside. And unless they tested positive, you are totally being duped. Right. And, And look, to be clear... I, I'll give them every benefit of the doubt. I'm, I'm going to assume they're running a low-grade fever. I'm going to assume they have a cold and they don't want to give it to me. But it's the same feeling. If you looked over at a stoplight and saw somebody not just wearing a seatbelt but two seatbelts wrapped in bubble pack yes. with a helmet on, okay, and their entire car had been wrapped in rubber, you might think, okay, <laughs> this person is either what are they more responsible than me or are they crazy right so you know what are you supposed to do one mask two how about well, three how about four mike i was on the air when dr burks said it would be a good idea to possibly wear goggles because it could come in your eyes right mm-hmm. and then dr fauci going to these hearings with two masks on mm-hmm. right then sits in the stadium 
with two people right around him without a mask. Now, now you're in a different world because we we will forgive. I'll forgive well-intended people who sound really, really certain who happen to get it wrong. But it's very, very hard today to forgive a hypocrite. And if it destroyed so many lives, yes, it's that's where the line gets drawn. If you didn't practice what you preached. Don't talk to me about amnesty. And and I'm saying you, the, your governor, like Kemp and DeSantis, told the people, hear the facts, live your life mm-hmm. the way you want it. And I think they're going to be rewarded. Which brings us back to this. Hear the facts. Social media is way more addictive than we thought. It's way more dangerous than we can imagine. But the genie is out of the bottle. And now, look, we have gun safety classes. Yes. And I'm all for them. Why don't we have some kind of primer for so? Why would you hand Absolutely. a kid a device that gives her or him unlimited access to all the porn your mind can imagine? Why would you do that? And, and Mike, the other thing is, the, one of the answers is, is the ink's not dry yet on social media. It's so new. Yeah. Even it's so new. What are the right ways to go? How much is enough time? Well, why is it that in uh, Silicon Valley, where you live around, their kids are strongly regulated, and they mm-hmm. wait a long time before because they know they who's know. getting addicted. Um, you want me to go with 31? I'll go with 31 over 34 because, Allison, you have better judgment. I haven't read 31, but I was thinking about 34. I'll go back to behavior in a moment. I love so we'll 31. Figure, well, you want to go 31? Because Allison said Yes, I feel like when a weird game of news bingo. Right. Can you not interrupt me when I'm talking to my producer? I don't think so. Your your listeners are confused, dude. I'm telling you. This is what he's here for. Uh, Watch How how America Works on Fox Business at 8 o'clock. Now can I roll 31? You call that a promo. You sicken me. Let's listen to 31. In their version of TikTok, if you're under 14 years old, they show you science experiments you can do at home, museum exhibits, patriotism videos, and educational videos. And they also limit it to only 40 minutes per day. Now, they don't ship that version of TikTok to the rest of the world. So it's almost like they recognize that technology is influencing kids' development, and they make their domestic version a spinach version of TikTok, while they ship the opium version to the rest of the world. The version served to the West has kids hooked for hours at a time. The impact, Harris says, is predictable. There's a survey of preteens in the U.S. and China asking what is the most aspirational career that you want to have. In the U.S., the number one was influencer. Social media influencer. And in China, the number one was astronaut. Again, you allow those two societies to play out for a few generations, I can tell you what your world is going to look like. There's 60 Minutes last night, a whole thing on social media. Tristan Harris saying in China, the inventors, uh, ByteDance, are the ones that came up with this. TikTok here is the number one app, I believe. And around the country, same thing, around the world. But in China... It's stuff that's good for you, mm. uh, information that you can grow from. Yeah. All right. Since you sort of teased this in a weird way an hour ago, um, I'm just going to give you a confession. I, I'm i not on TikTok, but I'm on Facebook, and Facebook has a thing called Reels, right? And I walked into the, uh, the restroom, uh, the restroom, my personal bathroom at home. All right. I don't want to give you too much detail, but I walked in there, and I, I settled in, and I had my phone with me. Like, what else do you need to know? And I'm checking stuff, and there I am on, on, on Reels. You're so on. I, I'm on, not me, me, but I'm just oh. scrolling through, right? I'm looking at 15, 20-second videos. One after, and, and this is a first for me. Like, I knew it was there, but I went down the rabbit hole. And I'm sitting there <laughs> looking at Reels on Facebook in my bathroom. 
I sat there so long. When I stood up, I fell down. Like the blood. You, you had, yeah, no I care. spent 20 minutes on the can. Look, now, I'm a grown man. I'm busy, man. I'm busy. I got three shows. I got a podcast. I got a book to write. And I, I sat there like an idiot in the bathroom, which I know is bad for me on every level, looking at this thing. Like a, like a caged monkey. And think about a 12-year-old or a 14-year-old or an 8-year-old or a 16-year-old. If it can derail me. Well, right. Exactly. So, look, there is a, maybe it's dopamine. Maybe it's I, whatever it is. That's beyond my pay grade. But it is real. FCC, by the way, FCC, one of the FCC officials came out and said we should ban TikTok flat out. Trump brought it up, ban it. Then we kind of forgot about it, and then people are using it like Barack Obama sitting Indian style on the ground talking to an influencer uh, under a table. Mm-hmm. You saw that. And mm-hmm. you just see Joe Biden doing something ridiculous with a transgender teenager who's a big influencer on TikTok. Doesn't know, he didn't know what he was saying, but he believed everyone should get transitioned. That's what Joe Biden was agreeing to everything. Uh, you know, so, so I'm just saying, so they're using it now to get to young people. Yeah, uh, and I just think we have to do this. But it, in the bigger picture, why were we lured into that? And who's going to be the next one to come into to that? Yeah. And and the thing is, I've gone into a rabbit hole on YouTube, but it's all positive. I go from one documentary to the next, and I I go, yeah, you got me, and I'm guilty, and I'm happier I did it. But yeah. I'm one in a positive way, right. not like you who did something that you feel uh, you feel you shouldn't have. Yeah, it's junk food. Look, yeah. I mean, you can sit down and you, know, you can get up from eating a lot. You can eat too much healthy food and feel like, yeah. why in the world would I do that? Or you can eat too much garbage and it's worse. Right. And when we come back, how it affects behavior. Dr. Phil weighed in with Joe Rogan. I want to share some of that. Meanwhile, this we're at Election Eve. We haven't talked much about the elections, but we should. Uh, but we only have a little time. What should you say for another hour? Yeah. Where else would I go, Brian? <laughs> what else would I do? Watch. Uh, how, How America, America Works, works. Good. on Fox Business at 8 o'clock. Good. And then what, he's the host of the podcast, The Way I Heard It. Right. And Good. you can find all this out on, on, on at Mike oh Rowe my God. Works. At, what? What is with the at? Just go to microworks.org for God's sakes. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. They've started living on their devices. It's kind of like along about 2007 or 8. It seems like airplanes flew over the country and just started dropping smartphones. And everybody's head went from here to here. I mean, think about it. When you when you look, you go anywhere, go to the mall, go just anywhere there's a group. And what do you see in their hands? You see a device. We didn't grow up with devices. When I started Dr. Phil 21 years ago, the first text hadn't been sent. There were no social media platforms. None of that stuff was going on. Technology is great. I'm not, listen, I love technology, but we've got generations that started living virtually. They're watching people live their lives instead of living their own lives. And that changed the metrics on everything. Think about that. TikTok, Instagram, all of this, you're watching other people live their lives instead of living your own. And that changed everything. And like I said, with this metaverse, I understand the mission statement is to basically do Put those glasses on or whatever they decide to use, and you start living a, a life that doesn't exist but does exist if you believe in virtual reality. What do you think about what he just said? 
I don't micro do, here, by the way. Yeah, it's me. I'm still here. I'm like stepping in gum, man. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I just saw you promote on Fox Business, so you definitely eventually have to leave. Coming up next, Micro. No, he's not coming up next. He's right here. So two things. I think he's correct, but I also don't think he said anything that wasn't said around the advent of television. Television scared the hell out of us. We just couldn't believe it. Are you kidding me? A magic box in the living room, right? They said the same thing about radio. What do you mean? I mean, newspapers were the thing. And now all of a sudden, you don't have to read, they said. You're just going to sit around and listen. That's so passive. That's so soul-deadening. That's so non-active. Radio is going to kill us, they said. It's going to destroy newspapers. TV, they said, is going to kill radio forever. Movies, they said, was going to kill TV. Uh, DVDs, they said, was going to... It's called the displacement theory. And in broadcasting, it's been around forever. And it's not wrong. It's just not entirely right. All those media get changed by what comes next. Right. So social media is media. It's just social. And so that's a new thing. So I think Dr. Phil is right, and I, I share his concerns, but I'm also mindful of the fact that, <laughs> I mean, he says these things were like like they were dropped out of planes. What about the planes themselves? Imagine being down there in South America in a tribe and looking up and you see a plane. That's the end, right? We need time to adjust to technology that's truly what transformational. What do we do in the meantime? Stay close to your friends. You know, uh, meet sing people. a song. Make Go eye out. Contact. Shake hands. That's Remember only... where you park, for God's sake. Absolutely. It's a full circle. It's like a Seinfeld episode. Watch How America Works, 9 o'clock on, at 8 o'clock on Fox Business. Unbelievable. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Brian Kilmeade here. Thanks so much for listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. I hope you had a fantastic weekend. We're heard around the country, around the world, but I come to you from 48 and 6 in Midtown Manhattan. So we have a big hour coming your way. Michael Goodwin standing by for the New York Post. New York Post did something fascinating. I never saw it before. The Jets upset the Buffalo Bills, odds on favorite to win the AFC and get to the Super Bowl. And the Jets beat them 2017. They say if the Jets can come back, have a 13-play drive, uh, and score a winning score, then hold off the Buffalo Bills, why can't Zeldin beat Hochul? Okay, we'll hear at the bottom of the hour. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at crunch.com. Number three. There are kind of there are two Elons that we're seeing. There's the public Elon that's, you know, trolling and saying $8, please, on all the complaints about some of the shifts in the, the uh, moderation and other activities. Then there's what's happening behind the scenes. Uh, that is a expert, a cyber, uh, cyber expert called Christopher Krebs talking about the Twitter takeover. It's been bold, but it's also been bumpy for Elon Musk. From hiring to billing to new rules, changes afoot, I'm still all in, though. Number two. Everybody, I promise you, in the very next very, very, very short period of time, you're going to be so happy, okay? <laughs> 2024 race officially begins whenever the midterm results are confirmed. But one candidate has made it clear he is in, and a major name makes it clear he is not. And it's not Ron DeSantis. 
Number one. The conduct of the candidates and the quality of their individual messages and their individual campaigning can oftentimes make a big difference one way or the other. And I'm, I'm looking for the surprises uh, on, on Tuesday night. Call Rove. Surprises. 24 hours and counting until midterm madness ends and the county begins. We look at the issue that matters most, more than anything else, and what party is looking as better equipped to tackle it. And I'll give you a clue. It's all about the economy. And uh, the economy overwhelming is the number one issue. And so far, uh, if you look at the 40 million whose votes are cast, uh, 125 million expected to vote, which would be tremendous, I think, for a midterm. Overwhelmingly, the, num- the, the thing that people are concerned about is the economy. Uh, for, uh, for Republicans, 52% say you are better equipped to handle the economy. Democrats, only 38% think you are. Inflation, only 38% think Democrats are equipped to get inflation down, where 50% say Republicans are. When it comes to education, believe it or not, Democrats have a slight lead. When it comes to crime, 54% say Republicans are the pick, 34% say Democrats. And most of those issues are have been legitimate Republican issues. Uh, joining us now to discuss this and more, Michael Goodwin. Michael, welcome back. Good morning, Brian. Thank you. Should the Republicans feel confident they're going to get both houses? Um, certainly the House. Uh, the Senate, uh, obviously, I think, is a tighter fit. Um, you know, real clear politics has been pretty bullish on the Republican chances, uh, saying four pickups. Um, that would be remarkable. Um, but I think I, if I had to bet, I would say definitely the House. And I would hedge on the Senate, but I think more likely than not, the Republicans will have a small advantage in the Senate. Uh, That would be interesting. That means a lot of close races would flip their direction from Herschel to Dr. Oz to, uh, of course, uh, Laxalt out in Nevada. And you got to be able to hold seats in North Carolina and flip a seat would certainly help if Baldock has closed in on Maggie Hastings with one or two points out. So there's a, there's a lot of things that have to happen, and right. we've got to remember where the polling yeah. is. Right. You know, Brian, uh, one, of the, one of the things I'm looking forward to is that if you, if you think of this two-year Biden presidency, right, there, we, we've, we had a couple of early elections, the governor's race in Virginia. We've had some special House seat elections, so, and we've done all this polling. So all of this adds up to tea leaves, really. Finally, tomorrow night, Wednesday morning, we won't have to read tea leaves anymore. We'll have real answers. We'll have real results that talk about the Democrats' control of these last two years. And the numbers you were citing in the polls, I mean, I've seen others of more gaps. I mean, the idea that 38 percent think the Democrats have the answer on crime or in, or in the economy, I've not met any of those people. I don't know anybody who thinks the Democrats have an answer on crime. Uh, in fact, they are the party that created the crime wave. They enabled it. Their policies enabled it nationally as well as locally. So uh, it just boggles the mind that there's even a close call on some of these issues because the Democrats have had all the power. You look at New York, you look at Washington, you look at all the blue states. There's not a, there's the red, the, the, the Republicans have no say in some of these big issues that are troubling the country. And so if this is not a referendum on Democratic control and Democratic policies and Joe Biden's leadership, I don't know what would be. Yeah, so to the unbelievable, if you want to know how, how little 
people think of the president. They have him in Maryland today to go help out Maryland Governor Wes Moore as a contender. He's up by 25 points, and he and the First Lady will be there. So Wes Moore will be there. Chris Van Hollen will be there in Maryland, where the former president of the United States is going to a rally in Ohio, where J.D. Vance is in a pretty tough fight. And also over the weekend, he was in Pennsylvania. The only time that Joe Biden went to Pennsylvania was when Barack Obama was there ahead of time. But I want you to hear he was there, too. But fast forward to New York, if there's going to be upset, and Governor Pataki is indicating that the, the ground feels a lot like his when he won. And he says that the Biden, that, Zel, that Lee Zeldin has done a much better job securing western New York. He was kind of ignoring. And now he's back into the city. So now crime is a major issue. We saw Hochul punt on it during the debate. Bill Clinton thinks he's helping with these remarks. Cut 11. Lee Zeldin, she makes it, he makes it sound like... Kathy Hochul gets up every morning, goes to the nearest subway stop, and hands out billy clubs and baseball bats to everybody who gets on the subway, doesn't he? It looks like he's auditioning to replace Dwayne Johnson in all those movies. I mean, to me, this is some of the most, I just sat there, my jaw was on the ground. He thinks he's helping? Does he think he's helping? Well, what he's doing is just reinforcing the disastrous Hochul message that crime is not that big of a deal. I mean, if, if you want to try to downplay the crime issue in New York, be my guest, uh, because everybody who lives here knows knows what it's like. And th- this is where I think the political class, there's this great disconnect, Brian, and that is that people don't feel safe. And the and the Politicians, they feel safe because they have armed guards with them, or they don't have to ride public transportation, or, you know, they're, they're, not, they're not personally feeling this. And that's where they make the mistake. I mean, this is what Bill Clinton used to be good at. I feel your pain. Now he doesn't feel New Yorkers' pain. Now he pain. mocks it. That's right. I mean, that, that's the problem that Hoko herself has fallen into, is that she doesn't feel this. But, so Michael, she, if you ran her, for office, real. if I put Michael Goodwin running for office right now, you wouldn't need a chief of staff to tell you what matters. You'd read the papers, talk to the people, and you'd say, guys, this is my message. But this, she, this woman, all she does is raise money. She doesn't walk around and meet anyone. She thought she would just coast. And by the way, it's scary to think what she'll do next if this is how she acts if she's trying to get reelected or elected for the first time. Get this. ABC did a poll. Only 18 percent say they're better off now than they were two years ago. 18 percent. 28 percent approval. Does Joe Biden have among independents? He's got overall 41 percent approval. I can't believe that. You talk about missteps. Listen to this misstep. Here's John Fetterman talking uh, this weekend. Obviously, he's had a stroke. But if he, he has five-minute rallies, now he's got surrogates. I don't even think he's showering. He looks like an absolute mess. Cut 15. We're going to need every one of you to vote and tell your friends and your families to make sure you're willing to make sure you out to turn out every vote. I run on Roe v. Wade. I celebrate the demise of Roe v. Wade. Oops. I celebrate the demise of Roe v. Wade. <laughs> Is that is he saying that because he knows that he, he thinks he can run on abortion? Is he you know what he's saying? Uh, 
Uh, no, he doesn't know what he's saying half the time. He's reading something, and he can't even read it. He's like Joe Biden in that sense. The minute Joe Biden doesn't look at the teleprompter, uh-oh, look out below. Uh, I mean, there's comments over the weekend, you know, we're not going to drill anymore. We're going to shut down coal. I mean, great. You know, even Joe Manchin turned against him, I mean, which is a whole separate thing that Manchin was suckered in. Oh, I'm going to get to that. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, here's Joe Biden letting everybody knows what he thinks of coal on Saturday. Cut to. Cost them too much money. They can't count. No one's building new coal plants because they can't rely on it, even if they have all the coal guaranteed for the rest of their, the existence of the plant. So it's going to become a wind generation. And all they're doing is going to save them a hell of a lot of money and using the same transmission line they transmitted the coal-fired electric on. We're going to be shutting these plants down all across America. Are you crazy? Joe Manchin then came out with a tweet and says this. President Biden's comments are not only outrageous and divorced from reality, they ignore the severe economic pain the American people are feeling on rising energy costs. Comments like these are the reason the American people are losing trust in Joe Biden and instead believe he does not understand the need to have all-in energy policy and keep our nation totally energy independent and secure. It seems like his energy policy... Uh, His positions change depending on the audience and the politics of the day. And he goes on. Think about this. For a Democrat, even Joe Manchin, to do this two days before an election, think about how seething he was and how damaging it is. But how many real people in this business have been hurt by Joe Biden's policies and fantasies? Yes, and one of the shames of it, Brian, is that Joe Manchin was part of the problem. He was he was right to reject all of that all of those policies. He stood up against them, and then for some unknown reason, he caved in, made a halfway measure. And this is not only going to hurt inflation, this latest thing that he backed, but it also, you know, he, he, he counted on the trust of Democrats for permits, for drilling, and all of those things, thinking he could sort of make a special deal, he could have it both ways. But he misread the Democratic Party. It's not the same Democratic Party. It is now a radical party. It is an anti-fossil fuel party. But, and they 100%. lie about it. And they yeah. lie about it. And here's the well, problem. And, and Manchin, but Manchin knew all that. I so I have to say, you know, w- when a guy makes a stupid deal like that, he's either he's either cut a secret part of that deal or he's not thinking with his head uh, because Manchin knew better and then backtracked. And so he deserves this. He deserves to be betrayed because he betrayed people who who counted on him to stand up against this. I mean, what a mess he's made of his own reputation. Well, what bothers me most, if he just said, listen, I'm going to get rid of coal, I'm going to get rid of fossil fuels. Instead, he told us he was going to frack. And he told us the, the, the energy production was the same. And the oil companies were being greedy. And Vladimir Putin's price hike, that's what this is. And Saudi Arabia cut back production. That's the problem. And then we find out he totally lied because he knew all along it gets worse. Listen to what he said in Westchester yesterday to a heckler. Cut one. No more drilling. There is no more drilling. I haven't formed any new new drilling. So he's telling everybody no more drilling while blaming other countries for it and saying oil companies are being greedy and the refinery's got to pick up the pace. I mean, well, the you know, lying I mean, is what that, gets me worse. It gets well, me more than anything. 
Well, it, and, and I think it points to what this election is about. I mean, there's an incoherence to Biden's policies. They don't make sense on the surface that you want to have this oil, but you don't want to have it produced domestically. And so, therefore, you count on Saudi Arabia or Venezuela, which you can't count on Saudi Arabia or Venezuela or Russia, right? So what are you going to do? Oh, let's make a deal with Iran. I mean, it's 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 creating new problems you know this oil this oil independence energy independence is a gift from god and to reject it, it and is. to and, yeah. and and to make ourselves subject to these totalitarian regimes which are you know persecuting their own people killing their own people and we're going to make a deal because joe biden doesn't want to have a drill why because uh aoc doesn't want it because they left because john Kerry. Uh, won't be able to fly everywhere and be a hero in climate change? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. And that's why I think the polls, you know, the, the people are looking at the polls. They've given the Democrats a chance. Democrats have had lots of opportunities. People have been very patient, I would say. And yet there's Biden on the last day saying such stupid things. You have to say, it's hopeless. I can't possibly vote for any Democrat who supports these policies. We need a change of correction. And that's why that's you believe what I think this election is going and to be. And you believe it'll be a wave? I do. I do. I, I think the incoherence of Biden, even in most recent days, if anybody has any doubts, you watch him, you watch Fetterman, you watch Nancy Pelosi, you watch AOC. You say, what is this party about? What are they doing to this country? They did not. I mean, you mentioned the Putin price hike. That's the first time I've heard that in weeks, right? They gave up on that. But what a big lie that was. They gave up on that. I mean, I, I think if I'm reading this right, that ordinary people across this country are going to say enough. Michael Goodwin, thanks so much. My pleasure. Thank you, Brian. We'll find out. Uh, 1-866-408-7669 and then get a perspective by reading Michael Goodwin's column. When we come back, your calls, you know the number. Also, you write me, BrianKillMead.com. Then we'll heard at the bottom of the hour. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. A majority of Americans think democracy is under threat. 80% think that if the opposition comes into power, that America as we know it will be under threat. But when you ask them which party is the greater threat, independent voters by about seven points think it's the Democratic Party, not the Republican Party. So while Joe Biden is talking about how democracy is on the ballot, I don't know that his message is landing the way he thinks it's landing with these voters who are going to decide the election. Sarah Isgore weighing in, uh, the DOJ spokesperson or the former DOJ spokesperson on This Week with George Stephanopoulos. That's just it. Democracy is a big deal. But both sides are blaming each other for the problem. No one forgets 2016. Donald Trump's an illegitimate president, a Russian hoax that was trumped up for three and a half years, and all these other follow-up investigations, the FBI raid. People think that's anti-democratic. People are worried that the FBI has turned, that you put Paul Manafort in solitary confinement, but you have the president's son 
son walking around like there's never care in the world when we know how corrupt he is. By the way, over the weekend, Tony Bobulinski made it clear he's got proof he had two personal meetings with Joe Biden when he was vice president and after he was president on these business dealings. So when Joe Biden says, I have no knowledge of my, my son's business dealings, that's another lie that he had no problem yelling about. You ever notice Joe Biden's yelling all the time? Are we going to find out that every time he yells, he's lying? When we come back, one thing is pretty clear. I will be joined by Will Hurd. If you want a guy from Texas that understands uh, the ability, the need to work together, he wrote a book about it. And also how some Hispanic community is flipping Republican. Do you expect a big wave? That to fuel the big wave? Will Hurd, the Texas congressman, next. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Democracy will be ended. The world will continue to exist. The world was here before Hitler. The world was here after Hitler. That's what we're saying. No, the world will not end. The kind of world we have, the kind of country we have, we've got to decide how do we want to exist in this world. And that's what we're talking about. If people want to deny it, that's fine. But okay, the but facts are very clear. I've studied history all of my life. Okay. I taught but, history. And I'm but, telling you, what I see here are parallels to what the history was okay. uh, in this world uh, back in the 1930s so, Congressman, in then- Germany, in Italy. Geez, uh, it sounds like the reporter's trying to save him. But can you believe that he's acknowledging this moment in time to 1936 Germany? Does Will Hurd feel that way? He's the former Texas congressman, cybersecurity executive, and former officer in the CIA. Will, what's your reaction to that? And thanks so much for joining us. Hey, Brian. Uh, happy day before Election Day. Um, but the, the, the one thing I, I can say I agree with, democracy is going to continue to exist. Um, um, the, the parallels uh, that, that Jim Clyburn were making, um, he, he failed to mention that we have – um, you know, the greatest country on the, that has ever existed on the planet, upward mobility um, for people of all colors and races and religions is the, the best it's ever been. Um, and we've been uplifting humanity. So that's that, it, you know, that's the message that um, if I was on the ballot, I'd be preaching. Uh, not some of these things that we're seeing Democratic candidates across the country doing. But what do you expect? This guy's like 80 years old. He's still complete. Do you really think he's sincere? You know him. He used to serve in the same body as him. I mean, is, yeah, is that— Yeah, look, I, I know Jim. Um, you know, I, I consider him I consider him a friend. I think what they're doing is playing up um, this notion that, um, you know, threats to democracy is a t- number two, number three issue for for voters. Um, there's been a number of polls over the last couple of weeks and months. Um, you even have, um, it, it, you know, there was a poll done, I want to say it was towards the end of the summer, where it was something like, and, and, and Brian, you have, to, you have to fact check me in on this, is like about 55% of Democrats or um, 53% of Republicans and 49% of independents that were saying that they're concerned about democracy continuing to exist, right? And so, so that that um, narrative has been out there. But again, I think the way you address this issue is that um, you know we are you know uh, the the fact that we're able to use social media and the press to criticize our elected officials 
guess who doesn't get to do that? Places like China and Russia. Of course. Um, we have the opportunity, um, the, 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 despite the, the way you were born or the position you were born into, to go up and, and run businesses, right? Like we have uh, millions of people wanting to come here um, to change their life and to start their <clears> lives. <throat> like that's the reality uh, of, about America, and, and we often lose sight of those things, and we only want to fearmonger um, rather than inspire. Uh, Will, uh, do you expect a Republican wave from what you know, Congressman? Look, so so we can take the House back. There's there's no question about that. Some of the things I do know in, in my home state of Texas and places like South and West Texas, you're going to see a you know near record you know uh, turnout of, of of Latinos voting for Republicans. Um, that is things that. Um, nobody expected to see, and, and part of that is being driven by the Democrats' um, terrible policy on, on border security. Um, we, we, you and I have talked about this crisis um, so many times. Hell, we even have a crisis on the northern border, right? The number of, of, of apprehensions on the northern border has increased like 400 percent in the last year. That's, that's, that's insane. And so that's fueling some of the, the reason Latinos are going to be voting for Republicans in, in South and West Texas. And some of these, in some of these swing states on the Senate side, um, you know, we got to make sure we turn out to vote on Tuesday. If we turn out to vote on Tuesday, uh, we can see we can see um, we can see that landslide. So um, <clears throat> I've learned in my <clears throat> excuse me, in my almost 10 years of being associated with politics that you know, p- polls polls may help you with trends, uh, but t- polls don't necessarily dictate what can happen on election day. So as long as as long as Republicans get out to vote, um, we'll see a red wave. And we need we need to be voting more on election day than we saw in some places on in early voting. Well, I mean, in terms of oil and gas and the border, that's really telling Texans, uh, don't believe your eyes and don't bother me with your lifestyle problems. They're ignored it. Outside Henry Cuellar, I don't see any Democrat doing anything except lip service. I'm not even seeing lip service when it comes to the border. Is this the worst you have ever seen it? Look, it, it, it is so hard to encapsulate how terrible things are. You know, when last summer you had 14,000 people sleeping under a bridge. Uh, last week or, or last weekend, you had people attacking Border Patrol with a, with a flagpole and trying to overrun some of these 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 places um, where where folks are coming in illegally uh, when you have people you know people that are here in the country illegally talking to the press about bringing in the rest of their family and, and they're not concerned about you know doing things the right way right it's just it's just wild and, and this notion that Democrats believe in in concept of open borders. Um, this is this. Most people don't see that. There was a um, recent article by Tim Alberta where he kind of um, uh, uh, talked about um, what's happening in the, in the Latino communities in Arizona, Texas, and Florida, and how the Democratic Party is completely out of touch. And part of this is being fueled by this nonsense on these border policies. And you bring up energy as a perfect example. When almost 40 percent of the population in South and West Texas rely on the energy sector um, for their, their, you know, to be able to put food on the table and a roof over their heads, and they feel like the other party, the Democrats, are against that. Um, at a time when inflation is sky high and people are worried about a recession, 
they're not going to vote for the, part, the entity that seems to be going after the way they make a living. Right. And, and so those are two things that are driving – that could be driving votes here in South Carolina. Congressman Will Hurd is with us now, a former congressman. But I want you to hear some of the interesting way that voters are being lured by the Democratic Party or their officials there uh, pretty much through insults. Let's listen. I love those signs when I came in. Socialism. <laughs> Give me a break. What idiots. The American people – they're treated like they're, we're all, they're a bunch of dummies. They're not idiots. Okay, now granted, there's 330 million people in the country, maybe a good 80 to 90 million <laughs> aren't very bright. Is that going to help? That's Michael Moore, uh, the second one. Look, uh, of, of course not. And, and here's, what, here's what I don't, I don't see happening on, on, the, on the Democratic side. If, all, if they're saying all these things, if they actually believe these things are true, and they're getting ready to get their butts kicked, and we're going to take the House back um, in this election. Is there going to be soul-searching and being like, man, we really missed the mark, right? Or, or we, we really lack the under, true understanding of, of where the country actually is. And what, what's always fascinated me, and, and, and you knew my old district, it was 50-50, 50% Democrat, 50% Republican. And so I spent a lot of time in blue areas. And, and what I always saw is that the Demo- Democrats said, were saying that the party's leaving us, right? We, you know, they're taking us for granted. They're not focusing and caring on the issues that, that we care about. And the fact that their elected leader's rhetoric is, is, is basically straight up agreeing with that and, and, and doubling down on that, that's one of the reasons that they're going to lose, um, especially um, big time in the, in the House of Representatives. Uh, Congressman, if the this is what I get if from a lot of people, they say if the House goes to Republicans and the Senate goes to Republicans, so what? What could they actually do? The they don't have the White House. How could they actually get things across, like border security? How could they understand? Let them to know that fossil fuel, being able to explore fossil fuels and drill in federal land, is, is key, and offshore drilling has to resume. How can you do that from Congress? Well, it, it starts with. And I hope Kevin McCarthy puts forward an, an appropriation. This is the funding of the government. And let's start doing it based on two years, not just one year. Um, and so we can start understanding what a, a one term, you know, we, we know that Kevin McCarthy is going to be the speaker for those two years, right? So that Congress should be saying, this is where we see uh, we want the government to go. Part of that is instead of funding 87,000 IRS agents, let's get 87,000 more Border Patrol agents or 87,000 more judges to do the immigration laws. And so you can create an appropriation for the, for the government, and, and guess what? Force President Biden to veto that. Um, and and you, so so you're able to create a clear actual plan on on the the tools that we need to do border security. The oversight function of Congress is is incredibly important. And so why were some of these decisions being made to treat everybody as an asylum seeker? Why um, are we uh, doing things? You know, how much? How many people are we actually releasing into the interior of the country? Um, that isn't being reflected in some of the the metrics right. that Border Patrol is putting out. These are some of the things that that a Congress a Congress can do. Um, when you're dealing with inflation, what do you need to do? You need to reduce. We need to reduce the government spending, and so we can put forward a budget and an appropriation um, that that reflects that in order to help the American people. 
deal with deal with inflation. And so these are the things that mm-hmm. a Republican House and, and Senate can do, and, and that's going to show a contrast. And President Biden can can work with a, a, a Republican Congress or he can fight against it. And if we're putting something forward that the American people love and, and, and President Biden is vetoing that, then there's going to be serious ramifications in 2024. Very interesting. Congressman, prediction? Prediction. Um, Republicans take the House uh, for sure, um, and and I think people are going to be shocked by turnout of Latinos for Republicans in South and and, and West Texas in a place like uh, Nevada and Arizona. Well, 40 million have already cast their vote. They expect 125 million, 35 seats in the Senate up for grabs. The GOP needs five seats to flip the House. It's almost certainly going to happen. On average, uh, since Harry Truman was in power— Uh, The party in power has lost about 43 seats. We'll see what happens. Uh, I don't think this administration has a strong report card to work on, and I don't think they do. I don't think they think so either. Well, Congressman, always great to talk to you. Brian, it's always my pleasure as well, and and thanks for always following these important issues. Absolutely. Then we talk about getting things done because you're great at that. Congressman Wilhurd, thank you. When we come back, I'll take your calls, 1-866-408-7669. I know you have a lot to say. You probably talked all weekend about it. You may have to wait online like me, 45 minutes to vote on a Sunday. I never thought I'd have to wait that long. Brian Kilmeade Show. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Height says the people most likely to fire their social media dart guns are those on the far right and the far left. And what percentage of the population are they? It's about 7 or 8% on each side. So the extremes have been handed the power to dominate even though they are fewer in number. That's right. Exactly. The moderate majority, Height says is either exhausted or intimidated. It's what I call structural stupidity. That is, you have very smart people, highly educated, highly intelligent, but you put them in a situation in which dissent is punished severely, and what happens? They go silent. Hmm. And when, when the moderates, or when anyone is afraid to question the dominant view, the organization, the institution, gets stupid. Yeah, and that was uh, one of these segments I thought was really valuable in 60 Minutes, and it just talks about social media. There's nobody that's not affected. Even if you choose not to go on, that affects you, and you wonder. And I thought Mike Rowe at an earlier hour said, listen, I'm not too convinced that this wasn't the same conversation they had when television came out. However, the problem to me is that I think the Chinese are playing a valuable role in manipulating the whole process. We saw a little of that with the Russians. They say, let's just let's just fuel and let's, uh, let's uh, support division in this country. They were sending us to rallies that didn't exist, pushed by Russian bots. Let's go to the phones now. Debbie, listen on WABC. Hey, Debbie. Hi, uh, Brian. I I, I guess I just don't understand. Why does um, Donald Trump hate DeSantis so much? I mean, it just doesn't make sense. You say what you want about the Democrats. Debbie, I don't think they hate him. I think he liked him, but he sees him as a threat. He's he's a rock star uh, Republican right now. And that he just starts, you know, he's going to take it down like he would Jeb Bush, like he did Marco Rubio and everybody else. But you know something, Brian, the Democrats stick together. The Republicans don't. We need to be united right now and I, like worry about down the road. But he but has right done now, a pretty good, Debbie, I know what you mean, but he has done a pretty good job of being united. 
But I think once the primary season starts, Democrats take apart their own just like everybody else. We just haven't seen a bunch of good Democratic candidates taking each other apart. I remember Al Gore took apart Bill Bradley because Bradley was a threat to him. And he, he took him apart one day. On the, so to, Trump is doing what Trump does. He called him desanctimonious. Uh, but then he gave him a compliment and said, you're a wonderful governor. He's endorsed you, a wonderful governor from Florida. So we'll see. He wants to run. Do you want Trump to run? No. I, I think he's too divisive. I just really do think he's – I think he's genius. I think if he's a real, real patriot, he'll sit in the background and tell people, help people to straighten out this country. I don't think he – I don't think he'll win. I think he'll – I think we'll lose the election. Did, did you vote for him last time? Absolutely. Yeah. Interesting. A lot yeah. of people – a lot of people have told me that. Thanks, Deb. Paul, WABC in Long Beach. Hey, Paul. Hey, Brian. How you doing? Good. What's on your mind? Brian, listen, I'm a Democrat, and I'm voting Republican, and, and I think Republicans missed a great opportunity. And the opportunity that they missed is that Democrats just 10, 12 years ago believed in, you know, a strong border. They, they believed they in did. a strong economy. And, and I, you know, when you see interviews where somebody plays um, a clip and shows Chuck, Chuck Schumer himself saying these things and he runs out of the interview— I mean, I, I think that's very evident that these guys really missed that. They missed a great opportunity. To show what hypocrites they were and how much they've changed without acknowledging it. And especially Harry Reid saying we should build a wall and others saying how ridiculous our chain migration system is. And uh, now they come out and they want for it. It makes me wonder, this is not, this is not a policy. It's an anti-American movement. It's crazy. What, it how is, is it to our benefit to let everybody in and blow up our whole immigration system and just and 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 try to deride our, our border patrol and then hire eighty seven thousand IRS agents to go after our taxes? It's nuts. Thanks so much, uh, Paul. I understand the frustration, Matt in North Carolina. Hey, Matt. How are you doing today? Good. What's on your mind? Are you voting yet? Did you vote yet? Yes, sir. That's what I wanted to comment on quickly. Uh, I know you're busy <laughs> and. You're waiting 45 minutes, as you said on the air earlier. Yep. Well, uh, the owner of the talk station, Lockwood Phillips, explained to me. I said, I, I mailed in last Monday, and then checked with the election boards on Friday. They have my my ballot sealed, locked in a file cabinet. There's no nonsense, and it's notarized. There's no nonsense in North Carolina. There's none of that damn stuff where you know. Yeah, good. They did not ask me for ID. They asked me for my address. When I told them my address in New York, they said, okay. So (laughs) I know that's it. No signature match, no license, no ID. That's it. I'll I'll tell you. Great show, Brian. Thanks, Matt. Uh, I don't want to rush through. I just want to remind you this weekend coming up, I'll be in Tulsa, Oklahoma on Sunday, November, uh, November 13th. Man, I can't believe it's here already. Uh, on Saturday in Brantford, uh, uh, Brant, uh, Brandon. Brandon, Mississippi. <laughs> That'll be Saturday night. Go to BrianKillMe.com and order tickets. VIP opportunities, too. It's a great 1776, 16, not a 1619 night. It's a lot of fun, a chance for me to interact with you. Brian Kilmeade Show. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade.
Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. It's going to be a big hour coming your way. We got uh, Chris Anunu, the governor from uh, from New Hampshire. A lot of people think it's going to be a presidential candidate. I know one thing, one of the best interviews you can have who really lets you have uh, let you know what he's really thinking when it comes to this election. And Mark Thiessen at the bottom of the hour. So we come to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, and it is one of the most compelling races in the country. I'm talking about the governor's race. But a lot of uh, a big one of the biggest surprises could be brewing in New Hampshire as Don Baldock, a guy that's been in Afghanistan 12 separate tours, has just been outworking everyone in the country but especially Maggie Hassan over the sitting center in New Hampshire. Will it result in victory? Man, he's within a razor's edge right now. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. There are kind of there are two Elons that we're seeing. There's the public Elon that's, you know, trolling and saying $8, please, on all the complaints about some of the shifts in the, the uh, moderation and other activities. Then there's what's happening behind the scenes. Uh, uh, Elon Musk, it's been a crazy Twitter takeover for him. He's been bold, but it's been a bumpy ride. From hiring to billing to new rules, changes are afoot. Is Twitter still good? I, I for now, am all in. Number two. Everybody, I promise you, in the very next very, very, very short period of time, you're going to be so happy, okay? President thinks he wants all Republicans want him to run in 2024. Somebody else says they will not run, and it's a major name. But one of those people has not committed either way, Ron DeSantis. But the president has taken aim at him. Number one. The conduct of the candidates and the quality of their individual messages and their individual campaigning can oftentimes make a big difference one way or the other. And I'm I'm looking for the surprises uh, on, on Tuesday night. 24 hours in counting until the midterm madness ends and the counting begins. We look at the issues that matter most and anything else that comes up in terms of what party is tackling the issues that matter most. Because a lot of people are breaking from their party in the Democrats case because they're not even admitting what the problem is. Crime is a huge issue. Inflation is an overwhelming problem. The economy and energy is affecting everyone. Even if you can afford it, you notice it and you don't become successful by just throwing money out the window. So for those people who don't have to live paycheck to paycheck, it doesn't mean they didn't at one time and don't have a lot of people in their lives that do feel it. With me right now is a very busy guy, Governor Chris Sununu. Governor, always great to talk to you. Brian, it is a thrill. We are a day away from uh, the big election. And as you know, in New Hampshire, politics is like our fifth professional sport. As much as we love the New England Patriots, we also love Election Day. So it's going to be pretty exciting either way. You hold your place as the first presidential primary too, right? Uh, oh, you bet we do. On the Republican side, we do. The Democrats seem to want to take that away. But look, in New Hampshire, you don't need money. You don't need name ID. You just got to be yourself uh, to be to be elected. Don Boldick's actually a, a great example of that. And we'll get to Don. But um, but no, that's that's kind of why we have the first in the nation, because it's it's a different way of doing it. And it's the right way. It's, it's very retail politics. And anybody can has the opportunity to earn the win. And you mentioned to me with that day that we spent together in 2019, I think it was 2019 or 2018, or it might have been 2020, you got a 2020 election, yeah. that you yeah. said, you know, Brian, it's, it's not rare in New Hampshire. Everybody serves in something, you know, in the state house for a couple of years and they go and they do and they're in and they're out. It's, it's very commonplace for people to serve. Oh, without a doubt. Look, the vast majority of our government is local, right? It's our town meeting, the power of our town meeting, because that's where the vast majority 
the little bit of taxes that we have is at the localized level. So everyone participates on the planning board, on the zoning board, on the school board, 400 members of the House of Representatives. It's a volunteer legislature, essentially. They get paid 100 bucks a year. So no one's doing it you know, for the glory. They're doing it because they really just want to benefit their state. So you have a lot of turnover. So everyone participates in the process, which is why voter turnout is so high and why, uh, if you will, the acumen of our voter base is, is also so high. People are smart. They pay attention to the issues. You can't get away with things. They, they really hold you to a sense of accountability, and you have to live up to it. And if not, you're going to be fired, and that's okay. If you're not doing your job, you should be fired, right? How, uh, what does it tell you with all your years of experience with you and your family that the president of the United States, the sitting president, two years in, is spending the day before the election in Maryland with a, governor, a gubernatorial candidate, Wes Moore, that's up by 25 points? Look, I, I don't. At first, I didn't understand what was going on with Joe Biden in terms of – but now I realize, look, the Democrat elite liberals of Washington, they have no respect for Joe Biden. They're basically using him like some bizarre political tool. I almost feel bad for the guy. I really do, but if not for his terrible policies. But they, they don't respect him. He's not going to be running in 24. They just keep pushing him out there as the political head of their party as opposed to the president of, of the United States, and it's going to keep everything really wide open. So. There's a lot of folks out there that just don't want to be seen with them at this point because you're not going after your base. You're going after those those independent votes. And so, yeah, just send them off to Maryland where it's going to be a, a big Democrat win and keep them out of all these races that are likely to be a little tighter. That, that doesn't speak too well of your party, your presidency, or the confidence you have in the policies that this Democrat party out of Washington has driven. And whatever you think of President Trump, that you can't say he's not consequential – He's spending today in Ohio. He spent over the weekend in Pennsylvania, and he was also in Florida, and he also played a, a key role. He stayed away with the Yunkin race, but he did endorse Governor Yunkin, and Yunkin didn't say, I don't want your endorsement like Joe O'Day basically did. So here's one thing he did say over the weekend that stood out with me. We have the best poll numbers. Where are they? Are they putting them up in the street? We're winning big, big, big in the Republican Party for the nomination like nobody's ever seen before. Let's see, there it is, Trump at 71, Ron DeSanctimonious at 10%. So here we go. So the president says, I'm running in a week. And by the way, Ron DeSantis is the most, uh, the, probably one of the most successful governors outside president company. Well, one of, I, I couched it well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, one of the most successful governors in the country. And I think Democrats realize it too. So what do you think he's doing there? Uh, look, you don't tout big poll numbers uh, if you're not concerned. I Look, I've I got to tell you, if, if Trump were to announce that he's running for president, first, no one's going to be surprised by it, right? He's taken that away. The one thing I can tell you about America after this election is done on Tuesday is everyone's going to be thrilled that the election is done, right? People want to spend right. time in Thanksgiving and Christmas in their families. They want to take a break from politics for a couple months. It's actually the worst possible time to announce that you're running for president. Um, no one's going to care. And so that, and that in itself is bizarre. Um, I, I think no matter what happens, whether the former president runs or not, you're still going to get a dozen people in this race. He's not keeping anybody out of the race. There's, there's no question about that in my mind. Um, and so it's still going to be a wide open race. There's a lot of time and a lot of things are going to change between now and next year. So that's kind of it. it, it people say, oh, he, he might announce. And I, my, my thought is, yeah, so, okay. Uh, that's not really news to anybody. I think everyone's focusing on closing the deal. By the way, if we don't close the deal tomorrow, then, what's, then none of this matters, right? So let's focus on what's ahead of us, close the deal. Let's take a breath. 
Let's let the dust settle a little bit. And then in early 23, we'll all get back to figuring out what's going to happen nationally with the presidential race and other and other important races around the country. It's not just going to be about the presidential. It's going to be, can we hold the Senate? Can we you know, build on the, the wins in, in the, the U.S. House of Representatives? And most importantly, do we have the leadership to move us forward instead of constantly looking backwards and, and I think that's where Kevin McCarthy and, and if it's if it is McConnell as, as the head of, as the head of the, the Senate, those individuals have to know we are we need to be moving forward, forward, forward. It's exactly right. what the country is demanding of us. So. I mean, I, you know, there's certain things you do want to investigate. I get it. But the last thing I want is another impeachment. I don't want to spend the whole time. And there's only so much you can do, as you know, uh, Governor, there's only so much you can do when you don't have the White House, but you can use the leverage of nominations. Say, hey, you want, you know, you want X, Y and Z confirmed. You want these judges out there. I'm going to need a wall built. We paid for it already. It's just rusting in the desert. You know, I'm you know, 87,000 IRS agents. I'm not really too thrilled with that. You better cut that number back and I'll give you this. I mean, we used to do stuff like this. That's exactly right. You got to get results, and that that doesn't mean it's ours, all of us, or nothing. Because you don't have the White House, you got to give a little to get a lot. You got to line your priorities up. Listen to what the Democrats are looking for. Give them a little, take a little. Give them a little, take a little. Cut the deal. Show that you can move the ball down the field. Right. Right. And if you can't do that, if if the America says Republicans, we're giving you leadership in the House and Senate, but you're not able to move the ball down the field then we're not going to be successful in 24. And that's, again, where McCarthy and McConnell have to move forward. Forget about the 2020 stuff. As you said, we're just – we cannot – America doesn't want us to be in an endless game of revenge, you know. So we we have that responsibility now, and uh, I feel confident we can live up to it. So this just came across. Don't blame yourself if you didn't know it. Elon Musk just tweeted this out. To independent-minded voters, shared power curbs the most, the worst excesses of both parties. Therefore, I recommend voting for a Republican Congress, given that the presidency is Democratic. That matters. Oh, it's huge. No, that that's huge. You know, I I always say, you know, it'll be exciting to see, you know, on the, you know, Elon Musk going against uh, Mark Cuban for the presidency in twenty four. You know? Right. But you have these, you have these kind of new voices. Not that he's going to run, of course. But new voices, consequential, influential voices, don't they don't uh, you know make the absolute difference. But at the end of the day, they do move the dial, and you got to respect that. And, and that whether it's having social media platforms or just having a national voice, a more independent-looking uh, voice, mm-hmm. that's something that people will pay attention to. So I give you a lot of credit before the primary. You know that you and Don Bulldog clashed a little bit. You were for a different candidate, and he said, "Well, you just been bought and sold by China," and you laughed. And he won the nomination, and you said, I'm in. It's okay. I want a Republican. And right now, uh, to the surprise of everyone, because Donald Trump didn't endorse till last Monday, and Mitch McConnell never really – he pulled back any money. The guy had only $300,000. He is within one point by almost all polls. Here's what Maggie Hassan said about why it's so close. Cut 21. You have to always make your case to voters every election, and that's what I'm out doing, contrasting my record of bipartisan achievement for the people of New Hampshire on the issues that they care about uh, with my opponent's extremism. Uh, As you heard me talk about today, somebody who would eliminate Social Security and jack people's costs up, uh, who would give big tax breaks to big oil and big pharma, jacking people's costs up. So uh, any, <laughs> I, I get it. It's like a cartoon at this point. But is any of that true? 
Well, no. If if it were if it were resonating with anybody, then she'd be running away with this as an incumbent who spent three, you know, ten times as much money as the person she's running against. Look, Senator hasn't just hasn't shown up. She hasn't done her job. We believe in accountability. She's going to get fired. It, it really comes down to that, and she's going to get fired against a guy who didn't didn't bow down just to Mitch McConnell and, and Republicans and the money. He said, "I don't care about your money. I just care about New Hampshire," and that is amazingly refreshing for the people of the state. And so. She hasn't gone anywhere. He keeps creeping up in the polls because it's about, you know, he's getting known. He, there's a big undecided vote there, and they just don't know him. So the more they know him, the more they realize he's not as crazy radical as, as the Democrats make him out to be. And sure, did I have my yeah, – Don and I went back and forth viciously a little bit with, with some of our words in the primary. That's okay. At the end of the day, you just want someone that's actually going to put New Hampshire first and do the job. This guy's done 80 town halls. Hassan, zero. Literally zero in a state where retail politics is everything. And the voters are like, nah, thanks, but you're done. And so we're going to move on. I think he's, it's going to be a close race. I mean, but I think uh, Bullock pulls it out by uh, probably about twelve to 1,500 votes. It'll be a late decided race as well. Some of our more conservative towns, the bigger conservative towns that come in late, like Salem and Derry, they probably won't come in until about 2 a.m. So it'll be a nail-biter all the way to the end. But at, uh, at the end of the day, I, I really think people in new hampshire just tired of paying through the nose for bad policy when do you guys count your absentee votes or the early votes do you oh, count it before election oh. day no we we, the, we count them on election day they cannot be opened until a certain time during election day they're all counted on election day there we have a rule that if you work the polls you cannot go home until your town has the, the vote counted so we get a, a winner in each town every night some of our bigger towns that might have maybe 10 different polling locations have to compile. They're not cities, they're towns. So they compile their votes. That's why they take a little longer. They tend to be a little bigger, a little more conservative. And so that's why it could go to one or two in the morning. But we'll have a winner by, by uh, sometime you know, late into, the, into, the, into Wednesday morning. We'll have a winner. So when you do these tours like you've been doing, you've been spreading yourself around over the last two weeks to talk about Don Bulldog or Bulls, to talk about the Republican Party, um, I'm, I was just fascinated by the fact that uh, some of the questions cut you totally by surprise, and um, one of which was on Meet the Press. In fact, I really deserve so much credit because I watch all the Sunday shows because I'm lonely and I don't have many friends. And I watched you on it, and as soon as you got this question, your response was classic because you were befuddled by the question when you talk about election denier and basically saying we have crime, we have inflation, we have uh, we have energy costs. And here's what's your response. Why are you supporting an election denialist? And, and do you think the inflate inflation issue is enough uh, to comp to sort of rationalize support for somebody who thinks school buses of voters are going to show up in New Hampshire? Yeah. Yeah, let me tell you, you, you're in a bubble, man. I love you, Chuck, but you are in a <laughs> bubble. If you think anybody is talking about what happened in 2020. And, and it, because he is in a bubble. That's all they focus on. I played that on Fox and Friends, and they played it all day. Did you? Were you surprised at uh, how much play that got? I, I was, but you know that, that's the way. As you said, they talk in an echo chamber. It's right? And when the liberal media talks in this echo chamber, they're like, "Oh yeah, that's what everyone's talking about." But none of them are going door to door like I do, or like real candidates do. And if you just did that for ten minutes, you'd realize, "Oh wait a minute, this isn't an issue." You know, politicians, the key to be a good politician and a good leader is not talking about the policies that matter to you. It's about listening to the policies that matter to the constituents, connecting with them on an empathetic level. The, the national media typically just doesn't do that. 
Um, gotcha. And, on, and on, on some level, the, the conservative national media has an issue with that, too. Not Brian Kilmeade, though. Brian Thank Kilmeade you, has walked the streets of New Hampshire. Uh-huh. You and I have walked those yes. streets. And, you know, was... and I've seen you engage with folks. And, and, and I actually mean that quite sincerely. I think you're, you're a little bit different there. Thanks, so, Governor. You... Governor, thanks so much. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Just well, I hope you guys can all meet me. Uh, meet me on Saturday night in Brandon, Mississippi, and on Sunday this week. I can't believe it's here already in Tulsa, Oklahoma. KRMG listeners, especially, will put you first, and there are VIP opportunities there too. I'm talking about uh, the president of Freedom Fighter, Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, for the battle to share America to save America's soul, which is now. Uh, out in paperback with brand new intelligence and information. And also some really good news for us here on the Brian Kilmeade Show family. Uh, we got to welcome in a brand new station, KZQQ, 1560 AM in Abilene, Texas. Uh, we're going to be on all three hours with them. Uh, news Talk 1560 in Abilene, the talk of the town. Anytime we're on in Texas, it's great, especially a, a city as uh, valuable with such a rich history in American history as Abilene. So we're privileged to be on there. I can't tell you how many people I meet when I go to Texas, which is often, that say I'm from Abilene, whether you move there or are there. It's always great. So I appreciate that. When we come back, Mark Thiessen's going to be with us. Mark Thiessen, former speechwriter for George W. Bush, Fox News contributor, Washington Post columnist. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, the handicap these races. There's now, according to 538, a New York Times-led poll by Nate Silver, a 55% chance that Republicans take the Senate. But what does Mark Thiessen think? There's some people yesterday that were on an exclusive call that say there's been uh, some pushback on Republicans who think they're ready to take both chambers. I don't have not met anyone who does not think they're not going to make up those five seats and take the House. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back. Brett Baer and Mark Thiessen here. How do I know? I'm looking at him. I mean, I'm talking about in <laughs> studio. I mean, this must be a big day or tomorrow's even a bigger day. Mark, how do, Brett, how do you explain why you're here? I have no clue. Right. No, you just, you just <laughs> tell them. But is it is you something against your will? Up. You just told me to show right. up. That's what I said. Mark, why the hell are you here? Brett asked me to come to <laughs> right. New York. So that's why. No, this is, I, I wish we could play back how many times we've heard this, the biggest election in our lifetime. But it does feel like the biggest election in our lifetime because so much seems to have changed in the last year and a half. Not a little bit. Yeah. No, it's a big shift. And uh, there will be a paradigm shift if um, if Republicans take both chambers. It will be the end to the Biden uh, administration legislative agenda. And uh, I think – you know, that the question with this election is, we don't know. We don't know. We know pretty much that the House is going to go to the GOP, even in the best case scenario, Democrats fall short. We don't know about the Senate. There are so many races that are tight that it all depends on who turns up to vote tomorrow. I mean, it's almost like a average week in football. You have 16 games. Everyone's got different texture to it. But, Mark, what they say is, I listen to a lot of the experts and veterans like Carville says, even though they're all close, they usually go in one direction. It's never 5-5. Like, it's going to be 8-2 if there's 10 up for dispute. 
Do you buy into that? I do. Uh, so the the late breaking undecideds in a, in a midterm election like this, where the president's in office and he's unpopular, tend to break. Uh, towards the opposition. So I think people have been holding, some people have been holding off, but they've been deciding. I mean, basically, Republicans in the Senate, they have to hold the ground that they have, which is Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, North Carolina, and Ohio, and then they have to pick up uh, either Nevada, Georgia, Arizona, New Hampshire, any couple of those. It could be narrow, or it could be uh, the red wave is is so big that it sweeps all those guys, including Balduck, in. And then then you have, you could get to a point where you have a 54-vote majority in the Senate, which is really significant because that puts them in in shouting distance of to getting a 60 vote majority in 2024 because the field is so tilted towards Republicans in 2024. I think Democrats are defending 23 seats. Republicans are defending 10. Uh, nine of those seats are vulnerable where either Trump won or Biden won by less than five in those seats, whereas Republicans are not defending a single seat in a state that Biden won. So they, they could very easily win four more seats uh, or five more seats in 2024 and have a 60-vote majority and possibly a Republican president. So this is the one thing. Before I play any sound and, and move on to some intriguing governor's races, especially one here in New York, there's two things that happened. One, Donald Trump's got a lot of money and didn't spend it. Uh, and a lot of people gave money to him and on the hopes that he was going to spend it to the candidates that he that he endorsed. And number two was Mitch McConnell bowed out of two races, which uh, well, two New Hampshire and and uh, Arizona. Yeah, but other groups stepped in. They deployed, redeployed that money to other places that they thought there were more. But don't you think he gave you know, up on that? Don't no, you think he gave up on no, Bulldog and no. gave up on Masters? I don't think so. I mean, it, I think that there is a. A lot of shifting money, different pockets of money that, I mean, listen, $8.4 billion will have been spent on this election, a midterm election. And, you know, there's a whole bunch of different groups, and I think they assessed that there were other groups going into New Hampshire. And Bolduck is uh, is close. I mean, he's really close. It's amazing, isn't it? I will tell you what happened. So, so just for the record, Mitch McConnell has spent, and his aligned packs has spent $238 million on Trump, Trump nominated Senate nominees, and Donald Trump has spent fourteen million. So that's the difference right there. The reason they have not, they were not able to invest in Arizona and and they did invest about sixteen million in New Hampshire is because they had to spend thirty six million dollars in Ohio. So JD Vance is running for a seat where he's been neck and neck. He's running for a seat that Rob Portman won by twenty points. Right now, Mike DeWine is winning by 19 in his race. And so you should not have to spend $36 million in Ohio to save Do that seat. Do you blame seat. J.D. Vance for that or Tim Ryan for running like a Republican? I, I've, I, blame, I blame the fact that we, did, that we didn't nominate somebody in that, in that state that can win by 20 points. Uh, that's the problem. I mean, there's a reason why Rob Portman chose to retire. Um, you know, and so if Rob Portman was on the ticket right now, they would have 36, McConnell would have $36 million he could spend in New Hampshire, 30 money that he could spend, uh, in Arizona. And he could have even invested in Tiffany Smiley in Washington state, who's running this really, really impressive upstart campaign and gone for the, gone for the, gone for the, you know, the, uh, the big uh, grand slam home run. But they didn't have that money because money. I mean, money's finite, and he, they, had, they had to waste thirty-six million dollars saving JD Vance. Well, seat. don't you think part of it, uh, Brett, is that he Bulldog came out and says, "I don't think that Mitch McConnell should be majority leader." And I don't he know. Thought, How do I put money into that? I don't know. We could read into that. I think there is a lot of deploying and redeploying of cash. Um, it, it could be, could be a factored in, but you know, as. I, th- I also think that at that point, um, it was more like an eight-point race. 
Now it's yeah. down to really the wire. I mean, it's almost tied in New Hampshire. And and Donald Trump endorsed Monday, I think. He endorsed Bulldog. I mean, that might be the little percentage that he needed. And Chris Anunov, to his credit, who was called an agent of China, he goes, all right, I'm all forgiven. I'll, I'll go to bat for whoever the nominee is. Yeah, yeah. and yeah, that's another race where Sununu is running away with that yeah. that race. And, um, you know, I think he's run for president, don't you? I do. Yeah. Uh, I want to go to Joe Biden made two major gaffes this weekend. I, I, I can't get – I'm obsessed with it because when we're paying for oil and gas and utility bills, he's saying he blamed the oil companies for windfall profits. Then he blamed uh, Putin's price hike. Then he blamed Saudi Arabia for production. Cut one. No more drilling. There is no more drilling. I haven't formed any new, new drilling. And what he said is, there's no more drilling. I have not supported any new drilling. And he's answering a heckler, a green energy heckler in the audience. And Brett, you got to be kidding me. I mean, he's massaging this message as all his economic experts going, well, our production is the same. It's the windfall profits tax we need to push to make them share some of their wealth. Is this a big deal? I think it's a big deal, especially after the coal comments over the weekend and the pushback from Senator Manchin. I mean, his statement, Manchin's statement, three days before an election for a Democrat to put out a statement like that against the Democrat in the White House is stunning. And he's not alone in thinking that that's exactly the wrong time to be saying all of this. Listen, you're going to have the green vote there. You know, there's not the the liberal voters are not going to go. Yes, I'm going for J.D. Vance or I'm you know, they're not going to to go over, I don't think. And yet he was catering to those people that were yelling the uh, stop the drilling. Right. Here it is. Cut to cost them too much money. They can't count. No one's building new coal plants because they can't rely on it, even if they have all the coal guaranteed for the rest of the existence of the plant. So it's going to become a wind generation. And all they're doing is going to save them a hell of a lot of money and using the same transmission line they transmitted the coal-fired electric on. We're going to be shutting these plants down all across America. Now, Joe Manchin, a Democrat, says President Biden's comments are not only outrageous and divorced from reality, they ignore the severe economic pain the American people are feeling because of energy costs. Comments like these are the reason the American people are losing trust in President Biden and instead believe he does not understand the need to have an all-in energy policy, which Barack Obama had. Yeah, so first of all, that wasn't a gaffe. That was a statement of administration policy. So people forget this, but last November... John Kerry, his climate envoy, former Secretary of State, went to the COP26 conference, climate conference in Glasgow and announced that the administration was plan, plan was to eliminate all coal-powered plants in the United States by 2030, so eight years from now. So what, what he was saying, he said the quiet part out loud. He, no one – everyone had forgotten that. But so it's dumb for him to say that before an election. But he wasn't – that wasn't a gap. That was actually a statement of administration policy. Yeah, and just so everybody knows, coal – produces 22 percent of the u.s energy currently so if you want to get that electric car from point a to point b 22 percent of them are fired up by coal plants coal-powered tesla's like is it going to those old steam engines or you just shovel the coal into it and it goes (laughs) it's it's unbelievable and then plus we don't know we know the flip side of the rare earth you got to strip the earth to get cobalt and lithium and some of these rare earth things which is aptly named rare and i remember I, i interviewed the ceo of ford and he said to me, Jim yeah, Fowler. I need yeah. help. 
He goes, I'm going to need help getting this material. And I go, do you going to demand the government help? He goes, well, they have to. They wanted me to invest all this money, and they got this lightning. They got all the deposits are in. They can't even satisfy the deposits. So they need the rare earth to be able to do it. They need the power, the terminals to be able to have it. So no one is talking reality. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. And so when you go out on a campaign trail three days before an election and say, we're going to shut down all the coal plants and we're not drilling anymore in the middle of a situation where everybody's paying a lot for a gallon of gasoline. I mean, it doesn't make sense as far as a closing message. Uh, Definitely not. But also, this is going to be a huge fight. You know, if we want to look over the horizon now to like the twenty third, early twenty thirties, when they're trying to force everybody into electric cars. You know, the you you point out that we need the, the the rare earths from China. We actually have the rare earths here, but you can't. You have to strip mine large segments of the country in order to do that. And so, the environmentalists who want the electric cars are going to prevent us from producing the rare earths here at home because they don't want the strip mining because they'd rather do it in China. And they're going where, to close the coal plants. And they're going to close the coal plants, which is twenty two percent of the energy. And wind and solar. People don't realize this, but wind and solar. There is not a commercially available battery to store wind and solar. Literally, it doesn't exist. So if you are depending on wind and solar and there's no wind or sun, you have no electricity. So they, they want us to move from, from fossil fuels to that and also have our cars dependent on that right. as well. I mean, it's just an economic catastrophe coming, you know, barreling down towards the country. So we heard about Mem and Oz mess up. The Pittsburgh Steelers were off last week. Uh, not good. Last weekend. Not good. But either is this from John Fetterman, cut 15. We're going to need every one of you to vote. And tell your friends and your families to make sure you're willing to make sure you out to turn out every vote. I run on Roe v. Wade. I celebrate the demise of Roe v. Wade. Is that the message he wanted to uh, say? He celebrates the demise of Roe v. Wade? No, wait, wait. He said Oz celebrates the demise of Roe v. Wade. Oz. I know it sounded like I, but he yeah. said Oz. I, I went really? down this road. I okay. went down this road. Okay. Okay. It's just that he slurs a lot of things, but he was saying Oz celebrates the demise of Roe v. Wade. So we're going to be in the business of what John Fetterman meant we to are, say. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it right. sounded like I, but it was Oz. I looked at this the other day. I promise right. you. I so promise here's you. what uh, Dr. Mehmet Oz said that he probably, um, he probably went back. Oh, do we not pull that one? We probably didn't pull that one. Uh, the one where uh, where Oz says the Pittsburgh Steelers. No, it's okay. We we know basically what it says. He basically met, instead of saying the Pittsburgh Steelers weren't playing this weekend, you want to win over Pittsburgh, everybody counts. And he said, uh, go to a Steelers game. Yeah, it, it, Mehmet Oz reminds me a little bit about that old Saturday Night Live clip of the Dukakis Bush debate when when Dukakis looks at the camera and says, "I can't believe I'm losing to this guy." <laughs> I know. I mean, to, to me, it's the craziest thing ever. I know you can't do it because you got to report the, the news, but I'll just give it what, what I feel. He's a elite heart surgeon, treats everyone who uh, – I met somebody who sells heart devices, knew him in Columbia, said he's the nicest person you will ever meet. I've seen him help people having chest pains in, in taxi cabs two blocks away from here. He was a very successful independent uh, uh, syndicated talk show host who would have mainstream issues in which he would look at different products. And now they're saying he's a snake oil salesman. He's an elite heart surgeon. Yeah. It's like they used to mock um, Ben Carson. The yeah. guy was one of the top five brain surgeons in the world. It's it's like a nutty universe we're in. 
Yeah, and you wonder why people don't get into politics. You wonder why we have a hard time recruiting yeah. any party, you know, to get good candidates because people look at this and go, "Why do I want to put myself through this?" Right. Um, then we end up with six foot seven inch hoodie wearing guys who lived in his house till he was forty two years old and wears uh, moccasins everywhere and can't really speak. Yeah, he would not be the most cognitively compromised senator ever to serve in the United States Senate. More on that when we return. <laughs> yeah. Hi. Good night, everybody. I can't believe I'm losing to this guy. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. We have the best poll numbers. Where are they? Are they putting them up on the street? We're winning big, big, big in the Republican Party for the nomination like nobody's ever seen before. Let's see. There it is. Trump at 71. Ronda Sanctimonious at 10%. So Mark Thiessen's here and Brett Baer for one more segment. First off, we got to promo your coverage tonight. And Mark, you're going to be all over it. Tonight, I have special report. Tomorrow, no, nothing special? <laughs> tomorrow is election day. But you're not going to do anything special tonight? What do you want me to do? A little song know, and dance? Can, can we little, get you an hour? Little, That's right. We do have a stacked lineup. I mean, there's other people on the network. Right. Are you going to be you on have other shows? How many shows? Five shows? No, I got, I got three <laughs> shows. You got three shows? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Right. Um, yeah. No, I'll, I'll be... It's really about tomorrow. Preparing. But, and tomorrow. just like visiting all these shows. Exactly. Because everyone's in New York. Mark, what about you? Uh, I've got no shows. Right. But, yeah, but you're going to be on all these shows. <laughs> but I'll be on a bunch of them. Hey, I was a good yeah. Marcus show. <laughs> be, uh, this, this is very awesome. about. Right. So you're going to be on, and who are you going to be on today? Uh, I was uh, just on America's Newsroom. I just did Varney. Uh, and you going to be on tomorrow? I'm going to be on tomorrow, yeah, for election Okay, well. so your reaction to 2024, and what do you think Ron DeSantis is thinking when he heard he was referenced like that? Hmm. I don't know. I think he's thinking about winning an election tomorrow, and uh, all signs point that he's going to win big in Florida. Um, I, I don't know. You know, I think it's it's just fascinating to see how in Republican circles that is digested, and it was not received very well, um, what former President Trump said. And I think, you know, it's setting the table for – what's going to happen next, you know, when he's going to announce. Um, for the longest time, I didn't think actually he was going to do it, but I'm pretty convinced he is now. Mark, your answer? I think what uh, DeSantis thought is Trump's afraid of me. I think I, that, that, that's my reaction to it. I think if you, if you look at the numbers, so again, uh, Trump was at, in October 2021, 78% of Republicans said they wanted uh, Trump to run uh, for president in 2024. By this summer, it was down to 49%. So that's a major drop in the number of people who think that he should be the nominee. He's still ahead of DeSantis. But I'll tell you what DeSantis does, which is interesting and why he's a threat to Trump. He gives you everything that you like about Donald Trump. He's a counterpuncher. He went after Disney. He pushed back on the lockdowns. He, did, he goes after the people, you know, the way people love that Trump's a counterpuncher, that he's a fighter, right? I mean, you saw that ad that he did with the Paul Harvey, you know, that God created a fighter. So he gives you all that. But he's also a wonk. 
like if you watch his debate with Christ, it was just a master class of laying out his policies and what he's did. He's got a great record of conservative reform. And then he's he's able to flip the switch that Trump can't flip, which is that he went when that hurricane hit, he no no fighting with reporters, no politics. It was just no fighting with boom, Joe Biden. No fighting with Joe Biden. He he embraced the president without without doing the Chris Christie. He and he and he right. led. And so if you compare his Hurricane briefings to Trump's COVID briefings that tells you everything you need to know. But and it, also his his pitch is very simple. It fits on a bumper sticker. I want to make America Florida. Good. The only time is very appealing. Republicans, <laughs> Republicans and, and Trump, they could fight, no problem. But DeSantis is almost a member of the family because he came up with Trump. There's right. no doubt about it. Trump endorsed him and pushed him forward. And they've been one on one. For they, what would be left of the party if they have to fight it out? That's the question. Glenn Youngkin. <laughs> right. Glenn Youngkin, not divorced, but not in not in fight. Uh, also, Sununu, I think, is a He's going to definitely run, I think. Really? Yeah. I mean, I, I sense he does. I think there's going to be a lot of people who really get in, whether the former president is in or not. Including the vice president, Mike Pence. <laughs> Maybe. Crazy time. First midterms. <laughs> but that's good for Trump. The more people that run. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.